0: Hello, I am John McAlee, and this is the Quadcast, Season 2, Episode 9 of the podcast, which is mainly for and about folks like me who have had their lives affected by a spinal cord injury, but is really for anyone who just wants to be inspired. Think of the show as your weekly 30 to 45-minute session of OT and PT for the soul. Today's program is one I have been looking forward to for some time. As many of you know, identifying and ultimately landing guests to join me has not been easy. First and foremost, despite being a legend in my own mind, haha, I realize I'm a veritable nobody. Want proof? Okay. I joined Twitter in February 2014, and as we speak, have a whopping 157 followers. The same goes for my Instagram account, with just 75. While I have reached out for some pretty big names, who unfortunately have had injuries themselves, my brand just doesn't carry the cachet it hopefully one day will, and thus doesn't end up in agreements for them to share their stories. I'm a big boy and am unfazed, I know that Rome was not built in a day. It has, however, forced me to look elsewhere for survivors and thrivers, like online and in social media, which is exactly where I found today's amazing guest. He remarkably has not only agreed to come on, but he texted me last week saying he can't wait for the opportunity. In contrast, he has over 11,000 loyal Twitter followers and close to 10,000 more on Instagram. I first became aware of Robert Payler through his most uplifting videos on Twitter. In fact, if you have not seen the tweet he has pinned to his profile, you are missing out. It contains a video from August 30, 2021, graduation day at the University of California at Berkeley, in which he walks across the stage to receive his diploma, some four years after being told he would never do that again following a devastating spinal cord injury he sustained on the rugby field. Robert describes himself as a quadriplegic on a journey to walk again and inspire others. Today, he is an inspiration who, through hours of perspiration and determination, has achieved his aspiration of not only getting out of his wheelchair, but motivating all who have a chance to hear him speak. And lucky for us, because we will have that opportunity following this commercial break from our good friends at Canine Companions for Independence.
1: This is my new best friend, Esther. She might look like any normal, playful puppy, but Esther's being raised to become a Canine Companions for Independence Assistance dog for a person with a disability. To get there, she needs lots of love and care and attention, plenty of exercise, and good eating habits so that she can live a long and healthy life for her future family. And she needs to spend tons of time socializing, learning basic commands like sit and stay, and taken to fun places with lots of distractions so that she can learn to cope in every situation. All of this will prepare Esther for more professional training to become a real assistance dog and a life helping a person with a disability to live more independently. Are you ready to open your heart and home for 18 months to a puppy like Esther? To find out more about becoming a canine companion for Independence Puppy Raiser or about other volunteer opportunities, visit cci.org or call 1-800-572-BARK. Raise a puppy, change a life. You can make a world of difference in the life of a person with a disability.
0: And we are back on the quadcast. I'd like to thank you for joining us. And at this point, I think I should welcome in my guest, the aforementioned Robert Payler. Robert, thank you so much for coming on and welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, John. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Boy, we have a lot to cover here, a lot of ground. I think we have a lot in common that we're going to find out uh, throughout our conversation. But one thing I always like to do with my guests, because I know that these spinal cord injuries that we've had do not in any way define who we were and who we are. So why don't we begin at the beginning? Why don't you tell us where did you grow up and what was your childhood like?
2: Yeah, so I'm from the Sacramento area um, of northern California. Um, just kind of born and raised and you know I went to college over at UC Berkeley just a couple hours away in the Bay Area, but um my my childhood was I mean I can really not say anything other than amazing. Um I was I was a lifelong athlete. Um and just as as early as I can remember I was playing sports, you know, like T-ball and Kind of those the typical American sports of football, basketball, and baseball, and um, you know eventually I found the sport of rugby, which is kind of this odd niche sport in America. Um, but something that my high school was very successful at, it, the number one uh, high school rugby program in the country, rests in Sacramento, which is Jesuit High School. Wow. And um, and then after that, um, going to compete for the number one college program in America. Uh, which is Cal's rugby program over at UC Berkeley.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah,
2: we've had 33 national championships, and just to give you some context of that level of success, I think the only team that has more championships than that is the Harlem Globetrotters, and their games are rigged. So we're <laughs> doing okay.
0: Yeah, um, you, you don't get to line up against the Washington Generals out on the rugby field, right?
2: <laughs> no, that's right. They're they're actually they're actually trying to win the game. So. Yes. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just a tremendous level of success, um, that that programs had yeah. and it was, it's such an honor as an athlete to, when you get tapped on the shoulder and recruited to play for a program like that, mm-hmm. you know, and then eventually to start for a program like that as a sophomore in my case, which isn't an easy or common thing to do. No, Um, you know, but that, that, that athlete's mindset drove me yeah. in everything that I did, at that time, and we'll we'll find that it does, you know, through through the journey of the recovery of my spinal cord injury. And
0: yeah, um, I'll have to tell you, Robert, that. when when I was in high school, this is going back a ways. I am uh, a child of the '70s and '80s, and a bit older than you. Uh, we didn't even have lacrosse at my high school; it wasn't even a sport. Well, it was a sport, but it wasn't at my high school at the time. So, um, rugby. Wow, I, I didn't really come across rugby until. Uh, I got to college and I had friends that were playing. And uh, truth be told, I went not only to support my buds, but to uh, to have an ice cold adult beverage or five or six. (laughs) But I really. Yeah. I mean, I really didn't know what the sport was all about. I saw that it was, you know, it wasn't for the faint of heart. I mean, it's it's certainly not, um, you know, something to 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 go into lightly. So it was a sport at your high school, huh?
2: That's correct. Yeah, this the, the sport was um, brought to the school. I think the first year of competition was 1999. Um, they won a national championship maybe the year after that, and have just have seen tremendous success uh, since then. But you're right in that rugby's not not for the faint of heart. You know, it's 80 minutes of continuous full contact play um there is there is no stopping when somebody gets tackled and taking 30 30 seconds 45 seconds to rest up I and mean, you are immediately moving on to the next thing so you know it's grueling it's exhausting but you know having like sacrificing yourself for something larger than yourself you know sacrificing your comfort being yeah. out there and pushing yourself and, um you know that that creates a bond which i have with my with my teammates that um, you know, the, this last me a lifetime. And um, I look back on that field and like, that's when I felt most alive was out yeah. there on that rugby field. Mm-hmm. And, um I, I, I truly love the sport. But yeah, in, in America, you know, there's there's people who still don't even don't know what the sport is.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. America. And I have to tell you, uh, in doing some research, I asked you to to send me some information and you sent me a lot of great stuff you know, from videos to to articles from uh, the newspaper around your accident. And one of them, when I I delved into it, I read that there was something in there that said, in a study conducted in 2011, the risk for serious injury was nearly five times greater in rugby than in American football. And the experts concluded that the potential for injury increases when players face each other in three types of close quarters, known as a maul, a ruck, or a scrum. Now, for for you newbies to, to rock rugby like myself, can you explain what all three of those uh, close quarters things are?
2: Yes. So a ruck is um, after a ball carrier is brought to the ground, um, you know, just a simple tackle, um, a ruck is formed over that player. So ideally for the offense, they're going to have a player very close behind. And when their player goes down, they're going to go straight over that player and and kind of defend that ruck because when a tackle is made a ball carrier has to release the ball they can't lay on the ground and hold on to the ball um, they have one movement to place it and then and they um, you know are intending to always place the ball to their team's side of the field and then as I said, a player goes over and then the defense will come in and contend that ruck. So they're gonna try and push that um person on offense in the ruck over the ball um okay. and off to the other side so that they can go and take that ball because the ball carrier cannot hold on to that ball anymore. It's, okay. It's through the game. So so that's that. A scrum is when um it's it's a very organized um uh part of the game. And um, you know, st- play kind of slows down for a second, and the forwards, who are the bigger players on the field, you know, kind of like in football, like your your tight end types, and um, we don't quite have lineman types out there on the <laughs> field because they got to be able to, right. to get around the field a little more. Sure. Um, but you know, your your larger, more physical players um, grouped together in in a unit of eight, um, and you know, and very meticulous binds. And and like series of cadences for pushing, Um, and they go straight against the other team's um, eight forwards, Um, and they you know and they compete they compete for the ball by you know using our shoulders to uh, to drive the other team back. And a mall is essentially the less organized version, more impromptu version of a scrum where players and it's usually forwards, but not limited to forwards. It's more kind of who's in the area. Um, we'll get together and push the ball forward, kinda like in football where a ball carrier gets stood up and you see the lineman kinda come in and sort yeah. of moving the file forward. Sure. Sort of like that. We do it we do it a little bit better, I think, because it's got of just it's more a part of our game. Yeah. Uh in rugby. Sure. Um, but but those, you know, those are those instances and it, it just so happened to be um the moment where yeah. know, I had my catastrophic injury.
0: Yeah, well with that as a backdrop, why don't you uh Bring us to May May 6, 2017. Uh, You're playing in the National Championship against Arkansas State at Santa Clara University. Beautiful school. First of all, how excited were you to play in the National Championship game? And then tell us the circumstances of the play that changed the rest of your life.
2: Yeah, I was unbelievably excited for that day. It was uh, my first time competing for the collegiate rugby national championship. We had competed the year before, but, um, I was not on the, on the starting roster at that time and and didn't compete in that game. So, um, so I was uh, this on this day, May 6th, really ready to make a legacy, um, for myself and, and, and for the team, you know, the, when you're a national champion, you're not just a national champion for a day. You're a national champion for life. This is something for me to bring my, you know, future wife and kids back um over to Berkeley to to point to a, a banner on, on the wall and you know, it describe that day, describe that team and just just how much it meant. And um so you know, I wake up and I got you know, I got the butterflies in my stomach. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm 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 ready to go. It's game day. Um, we're all, yeah, it's game day. We're all we're all ready to go. And, you know, I'm kind of I'm thinking about you know I'm thinking about my finals the day after maybe or you know like an internship that I had coming up um you know on the days in the days prior but you know on that day nothing else exists it's just it's just the moment and um you know and and living in this moment competing my best in this moment and um anyways we're playing Arkansas State that day which. Um, I don't think that they've won a single national championship. We were competing for our 31st national championship on that day. And that's just with the tournament being around in the last 45 years. So, you know, we had this attitude of we've been here. We've done this before. We're very composed. We're, we're collected and, um, and confident as well.
0: You're like the Yankees.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're cautiously confident, I'd say. And, um, and, uh, you know, our Arkansas State that day, I'm sure they knew they had quite a challenge ahead of them. And, um, you know, so eventually uh play ensues. And it's about a minute and a half into this game that I'm competing in a mall, which I described earlier. Yes. And um, we're about five meters out from the goal line. Now, remember, malls are like the boiler room of rugby that's where the big guys thrive yeah you know, I'm, a, I'm a bigger guy at the time i'm 20 years old six 240 pounds wow and, uh, you know lean mean fighting machine yeah. I, was, I was i was put on that field to move people so being about five meters from the goal line i mean i'm like drooling here on the steel thinking mm-hmm. go let's go rob drive this thing in let's, yeah. let's pound this one in early you know? yeah um, as I'm doing this, the opposing players they start making illegal moves, and the referee's not calling it. So first, the player enters in from the side of the mall, which is a penalty. They're supposed to come in through the front of a mall, and the referee doesn't call it. And the same player who comes in from the side, he binds me in a headlock. Oh, um, gosh. If, you can, if you can imagine, he's coming in from the in, from the side and using his arm to drag my head down. So it's sort of pinning my chin to my chest. Uh, now, normally in rugby, this is an automatic yellow or red card. It's an immediate suspension from the game. Um but will for whatever reason the ref doesn't see it, the ref doesn't call it.
0: Had you ever been put not to interrupt, had you ever been uh had that same type of thing happen to you where somebody grabbed you but like that?
2: I have and it's been called. Um and you know the the referee immediately blows his whistle and awards us a penalty and and will either um have that player sent off the field for 10 minutes or for the rest of the game.
0: Yeah, so he um, knows that. The player knows that this is a no no. This is not not something that's uh allowed on the field of play.
2: Yes, yes. It's okay. it's it's a very well very well known rule of rugby and a very severe rule of rugby. Okay. It's uh you know it's 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 not something to be taken lightly. Uh-huh. Um you know both both and the consequences that that it could lead to um, sure, you know, if you know if that goes to a penalty for your team or if that goes to um you know executing out an injury yeah. on a player and um so anyways he's got me in this headlock and two more players coming from the side uh which is of course illegal mm-hmm. and he also binds me around my leg hooking my leg up which is another penalty so there's just there's just penalties going on everywhere but I'm, I'm still moving forward. You know, I'm not, I'm thinking I'm not just going to stand up and put my arms out to the side and, and, you know, wait for a penalty to be called. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep moving forward. Yeah. And, um, so, so I start driving and we're moving this back, but another player comes in and he chops me down by my legs, which is another penalty. So I start falling. And as I'm, as I'm falling down, this arm lock around my neck starts to improve. Um, he, he bears down with, with all of his weight and strength on my neck. And, you know, as I collapse uh, with my pin, with my chin being pinned to my chest, I just, I kind of close my eyes and grit my teeth. Um, you know, just expecting just impact another collapse small, which is not all that uncommon. Um, But when I hit the ground, I I felt a horrific crunch in my neck and then um, just an explosion of that pins and needles feeling Mm -hmm. everywhere throughout my body um, from from about my my, like the top of my shoulders down. And, um, you know, instinctually, I just try to pop up because that's, you know, kind of what you do in in sports like that. You you just get up and you get to the next thing right away. And, uh, you know, immediately I don't. And um, I had broken many bones before, you know, I broke my left wrist once, right wrist twice, my hand, my nose twice. I, I knew what it was, And a lot of that happened in competition. So I knew what that felt like. And yeah. when I felt that feeling in my neck, I knew I broke a bone. And, um, you know, just back then I had heard these stories on, on TV and, you know, read them on my phone online. And, of situations where this happens to people, you know, they're they're lying on the field, they can't move anything, they can't feel anything, and um, their life has forever changed. And um, in the stories that I saw, for a lot of them, um, unfortunately, there there wasn't a lot of physical progression um, yeah. that that they were able to have. And my I my mind is just swimming in terror, mm-hmm. just sheer terror. I'm it's- thinking. This is my worst worst nightmare, and and I can't wake up.
0: and meanwhile, there's there's a massive humanity still lying on top of you.
2: So yeah, so then this oh, is this sort really gets ridiculous. So yes, I collapse, um, the mall collapses, but you know in the sport of rugby, it's continuous, and they you know they go on to the next play. So you know the mass the massive bodies quickly quickly moves away, but the referee does not stop playing. Oh. We continue to compete as I lay there. I pr- practically looked like a corpse um, oh. because, I, it, you know, I had, I had a C5-6 injury. Um, you know, so normally I'd be able to um, have some decent arm movement, you know, on my shoulders or biceps. But at that time, being in spinal shock, um, I was essentially paralyzed from the neck down. I I could just, I could breathe shallowly, um, you know, which, which is, of course, a a great relief.
0: Yes. Um, And are you face down? Are you face down into the turf?
2: uh, Yeah. My, so my, uh, the front of my body, yes, my chest was in the turf and my head was kind of, kind of down into the side. So, um, so, you know, I I could still, I could see, you know, what was, what was behind me and to my left, Um, you know, and, and immediately my training staff sprinted out to me. Um, because like I said, I mean, I, I looked like, I looked like a dead body on that field. Yeah. And, um, and are you whispering
0: to them? Don't, you know, don't touch me, don't move me kind of a thing. And then, you know, at that point, does the, the surfboard come out and the, uh, the stretcher and all of that stuff happen?
2: Yeah, that's right. They, they came up to me. I remember our, our head trainer, she, she, you know, came right next to me and, and they're being very cautious because this play is still going on. If they would have come back over and fallen on top of me,
0: oh good grief. it
2: certainly would have been devastating for my injury. It might've even killed, uh, you. killed me. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was horrible. Um, so anyways, um. They were able to kind of block play from coming back to me. And it didn't stop until we ended up just scoring on them. And they're kicking the conversion over my paralyzed body. Oh, and it was just,
0: good God. Sort.
2: But anyways, when my trainer comes over there. She asks what happened. And I just, I mean, I yelled as loud as I can. But it probably wasn't more than um, just a conversational tone. I just said, I broke my neck. I can't move anything. I can't feel anything. I huh. broke my neck. I broke my neck. And, um, you know, and then they, you know, they say, okay, don't move anything, you know, and they start kind of going through those tests, you know, Robert, can you, you know, they're kind of like squeezing my cleats, you know, Robert, can you feel this? And I'm, I'm just like completely detached. I can't feel anything. They, they, you know, put their finger in my hand and okay, Robert, make a fist, squeeze my hand. I mean, I'm doing, I'm like in complete terror, doing everything I can, just praying that I get something and, um, and I, I can't do anything. Mm -hmm. So They put me on that stretcher and uh, rushed me over to the hospital. And, you know, we do our series of medical imaging and um, the doctor comes back and he's got a bad look on his face. And he says, you know, uh, Robert, the, you know, sport of, I hate to see when stuff like this happens. And, uh, you know, the sport sport of rugby is, is is a violent, dangerous sport. Um, which by the way, this isn't, this is not common in the sport of rugby and it's completely illegal what happened, but Mm. continuing back on his message, he said, you need to start dealing with the reality of this situation. And the reality is you will never walk again. You will never move your hands. You will be lucky if you can do something like pick up a piece of pizza and bring it to your face.
0: Oh, gee, thanks doc. Thanks for that warm and fuzzy. You know, throughout all of my time with with doctors and nurses and I've I've had a million of them. And this guy I would have coined the phrase, he sounds like he had the bedside manner of a bedpan. I mean what a what a thing to tell some a a young man who's just had his, you know, the trajectory of his life just completely changed and to to throw that in, in your face. But it sounds to me like you being the athlete and and you know, the determined guy that you are, you kind of filed that in the back of your head as if to say, oh yeah, pal, let me show you. And, and as we get further into this conversation, uh, that's exactly what you did. So, so then Robert, mm-hmm. after, after that you know, bright sunshine that he tells you, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm assuming you had uh, some surgeries and things like that. And how do you, at that point, start to get stabilized?
2: yeah so so right then he you know he recommends spinal fusion surgery. He says the disc between my c five six vertebrae ruptured into my spinal cord. Um, and what he recommended was replacing that ruptured disc with an artificial one and fusing the reagent. I had also had fracturing on my c five c six vertebrae. Um, and you know, continuing with with kind of his his train of thought, he says, um, this is going to give you the the best chance at recovering stability, but this is a potentially life threatening surgery. He tells me. Oh, great. Um, yeah, and at the time I was spiking fevers around 103, 104 degrees, kind of a dangerous range. And, um, yeah, you know, incredibly deconditioned, and you know, any any one of these these surgeries dealing with the spinal cord is is inherently dangerous. Um, but he told me I had 30 minutes to make my decision. And if I wanted to go into
0: the surgery or not. Uh, now, were your parents so, there? Were your parents at the game?
2: My parents were at the game. They were there for all of it. Um, and my brother, who he was taking his SAT that day, actually he had at, right when uh, he finished, um, we got him rushed down to that hospital so that you know I could I could see him. And you know when I when I received that news, at first I was kind of holding out hope that this was all just a scare. And that, you know, I was, I was going to, the doctor was going to say, this is just a stinger. It's, it's just a scare and yeah. you're, you're going to be fine in a couple of days playing rugby. And, um, you know, he, he really put, put a dagger in that. Mm. And, um, so I, I needed hope, hope I needed help. And I called my religious advisor. My faith was very important to me. And in this moment, I needed God.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So I told him about what happened. I asked for prayers and he gave me this piece of advice that, um, It's carried me ever since, and it gave me power in such a powerless situation. And he said, Robert, throughout this journey, there's going to be a lot of things that you can't control, but the one thing you can control is your mindset. This injury can't take that away from you. Your positivity, your ambition, your willingness to wake up every day and fight this is up to you. This can't take that away from you. So you know, in that moment, I I couldn't control what happened to me. I couldn't control the odds of how I would progress, but I could control my effort. You know, I could, I could control my positivity, not my ability to be happy or sad. I don't think we have control over our feelings, but I do, but we do have control over that positive outlook that, you know, I'm going to give it everything I have because, you know, the thing is I can spend the rest of my life, you know, fighting, fighting against this spinal cord, spinal cord injury. you know, hoping, hoping to walk again and just have greater independence, all of those things. I can spend the rest of my life doing that, you know, and the odds actually point to that. I probably won't progress to the way that I hope. It's very unlikely that I will. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with that because I just need to be able to look back on the end of the day and know that I gave it everything that I had. Um, I have, I have no regrets. And in the end of the day, whether it leads to me not needing the use of a wheelchair and being more independent or not, um, that will matter because I was doing what was healthy for my body, you know, and we'll really find, we'll probably talk about this later is it illuminated a greater purpose for, of my life to be able to use that journey to inspire others. But, that first phone call with my religious advisor right there, it it was probably the most life-changing phone call I've ever
0: had. How powerful, my gosh, to be a, a 20-year-old kid at the time. I mean, you're a kid. And, and to have this happen to you and and to to hear those words and for it to, uh, to register with you, you know, in that moment. I mean, most people would be saying, why me? Why me? Why me? I can't do it. But for you to, to take on that attitude so soon is uh, is amazing. And and I have to tell you that, uh, I mean, I know from an example that without uh, an amazing and supportive, strong family and and tremendous friends behind me, um, you know, I would never have progressed as fast as I did. And, you know, as far as I came in, in you know, right in the initial aftermath of my accident. Tell me about how important your family and your buds on the team and, and friends from high school were.
2: Unbelievably important. And, um, you know, the the support that I've received is just incredible and mind-boggling um, to me. You know, I, I always used to kind of think, like, if something really bad happened to me, who would really care, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. um, I would be like, you know, of course my family was is going to care and my closest friends are going to care. Maybe someone else is going to hear about it and think that you know, and 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 really care about it. But we're talking about, I don't know, thirty people, something like that. Maybe you know, maybe a little more if you count my teammates, stuff like that. Sure. You know, maybe 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 close to a hundred people are really going to care. Um, boy, was I wrong, because the the amount of support I received is is just it's a number I I I can't even comprehend, and I will, I will never be able to fully understand the scope of it. Um, it was very early on, about three days into my injury, that my best friend's mom started a GoFundMe campaign to Mm -hmm. help pay for the rehabilitation expenses of this injury, Mm -hmm. um, which was 100% necessary. As you know, breaking your neck is not a uh, financially (laughs) smart decision.
0: the bills are (laughs) astronomical, right?
2: Yeah, it it, it needs, you need help. Um, You really need help. And so, so we asked for help and, um, you know, and, and the support just started coming in and unbelievable, unbelievable numbers um, from all over the world. You know, whether that was um, people who were donating their kindergarten graduation money into oh. my rehabilitation that I have never met and I never will meet. Um, you know, people on the on the other side of the world sending in checks, you know, rug- rugby players from England and New Zealand and Australia and um, you know, jerseys from professional teams over in that area mm. um, i mean I, I have I have jerseys that I could stack up like to the top of my ceiling, you know whether that's the New Zealand All Blacks or you know some Modesto rugby club, you know in, like,
0: that's amazing. yeah, it touched yeah, a just, nerve
2: it absolutely incredible. and um you know that that kind of support, and you know whether it's donations or just just the message of, you know, I believe in you, Robert, you can do this. When I had all those doctors and nurses saying that, you know, I needed to anticipate the worst. I had these people telling me to, to believe in the best and, and believe in myself. And, you know, it kept me going through those moments because I, I battled pneumonia. I couldn't swallow anything. I mean, I was in, that, in the first month, I was really fighting for my life. Mm. And, um, you know, that support I received from, from this whole community Um, was amazing. And then, and then that closer community with my teammates, they, they showed up every single day to come say hi to me. And even when I returned back to school, we created a a spreadsheet to help to be able to help me tackle the hills of berkeley um because i don't know if you've been to like san francisco or kind of that area but it's just hills for day yeah sure. sure i don't care if you're like the lance armstrong wheelchair pushing like those, <laughs> those hills, are, the hills are gonna win so yeah, yeah. Uh, i needed help and my, my teammates put together a spreadsheet for my class schedule and my workouts and uh, they'd sign up for those slots and they'd help push me around campus where i needed to go when i needed to be there and, um, and my family, I mean, my mom slept on a chair by my bedside for three months and she was someone to talk to and she scratched my nose when I did. She wiped my tears when I cried and I couldn't have done it without her or, or any of my family. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that support system and that, that ability to ask for help is, is, uh, you know, it's hard to ask for help. It certainly was for me, especially after being su- such an independent you know go getter kind of person sure. um, but 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 it's imperative it makes it makes life so much easier you know so so much better. Um, but I was certainly very lucky to, to have all that support.
0: Yeah, you, you really find out, Robert, who's in your foxhole when the when the, you know what hits the fan. And it sounds mm-hmm. like, you know, in my instance, thank goodness for my family, and same with you. You were blessed uh, with with a great family who I, I'm sure is still uh, with you today, pushing you and and behind you. And um, how about now? I, I think I know the answer uh, to this question, but. Um, it, through experience that I had as playing three sports in high school, I knew that um, when I was first wheeled into the physical therapy and occupational therapy gyms, you know, I, I had a mindset like, all right, this is not going to be like going to Jack-O-Lane or, or, you know, professional fitness place like it used to yeah. be for me. But, you know, I was a jock and I was an athlete, and I said, "All right, if I'm going to get back as much as I hope that I'm going to get back, I got to tackle this like it's, you know, my job." And so that's how I went yeah. about doing it. I'm sure you probably did the same thing when you first went in for therapy.
2: Mm-hmm. I it was full out 100 percent attack mode and in, uh, in the rehabilitation. Um, I mean, I I craved it because I probably spent. Gosh, at least four hours a day working out um, when I was in college. I mean, I was I was 100% dedicated to it, building up my body and and building up my strength. And you know that that was to play rugby, which you know, granted it was it was being done at a, you know high dedication and a high level. But this was the challenge of my life. This you know this would require more more dedication and I had more motivation to uh to achieve this goal than than I had ever had right. um you know wanting the ability to to move and you know hoping just one one day to to be able to, to, be able to walk move my hands you know li- live my life sure um, all those things so so uh, you know initially i had spent the majority of that first month uh, just attacking um uh, you know pneumonia and the breathing treatments and um just just trying to survive but once I was able to get into that uh, therapy room, I was giving it everything I had. I mean, every second counted. And you now I started over at uh, Santa Clara Valley Medical Center, um, which which is a good hospital. Um, it's a it's a public hospital, so um, the rules are a little different, and the the length of an inpatient stay is not as long, and the duration of rehabilitation is not as long either. Um, just in a day to day basis, so. I I wanted to be transported over to a place that a lot of people had recommended to me, Craig Hospital, over in uh, just outside of Denver, Colorado. And uh, you know, I show up, and this place is very different in in many ways. And the first conversation with my doctors, it was perfect. They said, uh, Robert, yes, what happened to you is is terrible. And in a lot of cases, it's very chronic, but we don't know where you're going to progress from here. I mean you might walk out of these doors one day and you very well might not. But the one thing we do know is we are going to give you everything that modern science and medicine has to optimize this recovery. And we will, we will give you the long hours. We will give you the grueling workouts. We will give you everything um, that you can handle and that you ask for. Um, and uh, you know, these people, they didn't give me any, any guarantees in terms of my recovery, but you know, they gave me a chance. Yeah. They, they gave me hope and they were there with me. That must've been uh, music to your ears. Oh my God. I was like, I was like, mama, I'm
0: home. (laughs) Let's do this.
2: Yeah. This, I, yeah, I didn't come here to sleep. I didn't come here for a vacation. This is, you know, this is not a resort. This is, this is a place I go to, uh, you know, to, to get my life back. And, you know, that's, that's in physical and occupational, um, therapy, but, you know, that's also just, you know, really showing up to the classroom that we had, um, you know, learning the ins and outs of this injury and, learning to do the things that I love in new and adaptive ways um and you know learning um, not to like to to beat this injury per se but but to to live with it and thrive with this injury um because i don't you know life isn't about being able to go from point a to point b on your feet or you know be able to wing, wiggle your fingers and toes but You know, life is to be enjoyed. And, um, you know, that doesn't mean you need to be able to go from point A to point B on your feet. You know, it's about, it's about happiness. And, um, you know, this place really helped me find that and showed me that, you know, wheelchair or not, I'm going to be a damn good man. And I'm going to live a damn good
0: life. That's amazing. And with that mindset, let's let's delve into Robert Payler, inspirational public speaker. How mm-hmm. and when did that become a thing for you? I mean, I can hear it in your voice. You're you're dripping with uh, with motivational sayings and. Um, just, you know, your outlook is something that, you know, I can't imagine, um, somebody who's able-bodied would, would not just want to leap out of their chair and go run and run a marathon listening to you.
2: Yeah, yeah that's right. Right. Public, public speaking has just, and just sharing the story in general has, has really become the purpose of my life. And, um, you know, when I got hurt, people would come over to me and they'd kind of plant these seeds. They'd be like, you know, Robert, you've got this awesome story and you tell it so well. It's, it's inspiring so many people already. You should really think about sharing this as a public speaker or one day writing a book about it, you know, things like that. And so I kind of, I put that in my mind and, um, it was when I returned to Cal that, um, one of my, one of my professors now a very good friend of mine, his name is Solly Fold. And he invited me to come in and share my story with his class that he was teaching. And, uh, you know, he said, Robert, you have a very visible challenge. People look at you and they can see... That um, that you have to deal with tremendous adversity every day, um, but every person in my classroom has a challenge. And many of them can't be seen, but you know these tools that have helped you to overcome your challenge of of quadriplegia. Um, I believe these students can use to overcome the challenges that they face in their lives. Um, would you come in and speak to my students? So immediately I said yes, and then I had to start figuring out what the heck am I going to say.
0: So, <laughs>
2: I uh, I got together with my with my coach, the head coach of the Cal rugby program, Jack Clark, who is a very successful rugby coach, um, a very successful uh, public speaker and culture consultant, and cares so much about my story and has done so much for me. So I went to him, I I let him know about the speech, um, and uh, and I asked for his help in creating it. So we got together, and you know I just kind of. At first I sat in my you know, my dorm room and I just I laid out um all of all of the tools that I think I have used to help me overcome this injury. And I put them all on paper and I draw, drew out like the stories of how those tools were realized in my life and you know how I use them then, how I use them now, and how I think other people can use them. Um so we went together and you know we crafted the speech with that central message of um of human performance, overcoming challenges and accomplishing goals. Um how mine are visible, but everyone has a challenge. And these tools that have helped me to overcome quadriplegia can be used by anyone to overcome the challenges they face in their lives. Um so you know game day came about, came in there, I gave this speech and, um, you know, I really didn't know what to expect at first. You know, a lot of times, you know, college students, it was an 8 a.m. class on a Monday morning. They kind of be groggy and, you know, maybe not paying attention so much. And you see some heads nodding off. Not the case for this. Um, I mean, everybody was just laser beamed focused on on the speech uh, as I delivered it. And, you know, they're laughing, they're crying. In the end, it's a standing ovation. Here I am thinking, I just found my purpose in life
0: I have arrived
2: yeah this is this is the gift that this injury gave me my injury it took a lot for me but my injury has given me so much more and the biggest thing it gave me is this ability to inspire people in a way that I never would have had playing rugby and it's now afforded me the opportunity to to speak to fortune 500 companies to to give a TED Talk and, you know, speak, speaking all the way to CEOs of, of large corporations to, you know, kids like in an elementary school or, you know, stuff like that. Um, to be able to hear people come up to me and, you know, say, Robert, you've touched my heart. You have touched my soul. You've changed my life. You, you've helped me battle through cancer. Or you've helped me battle through the loss of loved ones or overcome alcoholism or um, deal with my, my own injury. I hear things like that. And I'm just like, I could never wish this injury away. How could I possibly wish away this gift and these experiences? Um, I, and and I truly mean that that when I say it, that um, that I wouldn't I wouldn't wish this injury away. Um, you know, I'm grateful for the things that it's given me and and this really selfless purpose I now have to be able to make a difference.
0: That's unbelievable for you to to voice that. You know, I, I don't know as to whether I couldn't wish mine away. Um, but it, it reminds me of a quote that I love that a uh, neighbor down at the New Jersey sh- uh, seashore, right around the corner from us, she always puts inspirational things on a chalkboard she has out in front of her business. And the one that always stuck with me is this It says, Everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. So always be kind. And it sounds exactly like what you are doing. You're talking to people who are sitting in front of you that might look like they have the world by the you know what's, but you know, in between their ears or back home or whatever. Maybe they have some family member that is sick or their their marriage is going south or their children or something or other. So everybody's dealing with a little something. You and I, obviously, they see uh, you on in a wheelchair if you're using a chair at the time, or they'll see me, you know, walking in a in a like quad. Emoto, but you know, other people you can't really tell, but they're dealing with stuff as well.
2: Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. No, that, that's that's exactly right, and it's always important important to be kind, and um, and you know, always important to, when you see someone smile, and um, and just to be to be that like positive energy in the world. And, um, you know, that that's good for others, and it, and it always comes back to ourselves to just always be feeding ourselves a good positive mental diet um you know because these challenges these challenges are very very significant but um but like you said they are not life sentences and um and i think that we can really find gifts within these challenges um to where Absolutely. it does it does make it to where you know something that that we wouldn't wish away you know of course i wish that i could walk again of course i wish you know that i had you know full recovery full movement throughout my entire body but, yep. but you know Having someone come up to you and say, you know, Robert, you helped me beat cancer or, um, you know, you've helped, you've helped me get through these really difficult situations. I'm like, you know, how, how could I possibly wish that away? Yeah. you know, that, that's,
0: um, that's a that's positive that, that's come out of, of an extreme negative, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I got a couple of quick ones for you here, Robert. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you're being the athlete that you are and seeing your amazingly, you know, inspirational videos that you have on Twitter. Uh, what are you working at rehabilitation wise now? I'm sure you're probably still in the gym tweaking some stuff, right?
2: I am. I am. Yes. Yeah, so, um, you know, it's, it's a plethora of things. I've been very busy just at, at the, at the home office, at the desk, between my speaking, I actually just dusted off the last chapter, the first draft of the manuscript for my book. Um, oh. so very excited about that. Wow. And I, to, um, I continue to work uh, with Cal Athletics, the big C society is Cal's varsity letter winner community and alumni network. So, um, you know, that certainly keeps me nice and busy, but I, I pound the rock every day from my rehab and, Um, you know, right now that's at home. So I spend it, I'm now able to stand up out of my wheelchair on my own and into my walker and I can walk probably about, about up to 300 yards on my best days.
0: That is Um, awesome.
2: Yeah. It's, it's really fantastic. (sighs) And it's a work in progress and you know, there's, it's a roller coaster of progression. There's, there's great days and there's bad days, but you trend line it out. And the progress continues to go. It's incremental. You can't see the difference day to day. But yeah. when you increase that scope into months and years, it's undeniable. So mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I continue to work at that. You know, I'm, I'm very fortunate to to be able to stand on my feet and have a have a very positive outlook, both from myself and medical professionals, that that one day I, you know, I will be Um, wheelchair independent. And I'm I'm very, I'm very much looking forward to that day. It's not going to happen today or tomorrow or the next day. Um, But I do, I do believe that it will happen. And, you know, honestly, whether it does or not, I will always continue to to work out and, and, you know, stay healthy and Mm -hmm. just appreciate every day of this life and every gift that I have, because there was a time that, that I would have given anything to have this. And I know there's a lot of other people in this world who would, who would give a lot to have this progression that I have. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I thank God every day for it.
0: How about aside from therapy and motivational speaking, what else uh, does Robert Paylor do for fun?
2: Oh, yeah. Well, I, I love the outdoors. So, I mean, that's everything. I love, you know, hunting and fishing and uh, all that stuff. And I have a really great group of friends that helps me go and be able to do that. In a wheelchair, um, so you know that's one. And um, yeah, if you, I, I don't know. My neighbors probably don't love me that much because I, I love like smoking meat and <laughs> stuff. So, <laughs> they're always like, you know, breathing in a chimney of smoke. But or, or maybe they're just jealous because it smells so good. Um, but you know, that's something that I that I love as well. But you know, I I definitely try to focus on um, you know having good experiences and taking time to relax because you know this is about the long game. And, it you is. Know, challenging challenges are to be overcome, but life is to be enjoyed. It is. And um, and I'm certainly enjoying this life.
0: How about, I know that you've accomplished so much at such a young age. Um, Aside from the book, what else is your next big goal?
2: My next big goal, um, I mean, I, you know, it's, a lot of it is with this public speaking. And um, I just it's hard to like quantify the goal because I just truly want to inspire as many people as possible. Um, you know, I want to, I want to be busy on the road and, you know, it's great to see how events are have finally started to open up in person, be able to, to meet people and interact in person, shake hands. It's, you know, but, but this is, this is the purpose of my life. And, you know, I, I very much hope that, um, you know, that, that I'm able to do this at, at a very large level, uh, because I love it. I love the what it does for others, and um, I just I think it's what it's what God put me on this earth to do—to to share the story and to help other people.
0: Amazing. And last question, I always ask this uh, of all of my guests who have had injuries, um, and it started out. It's funny. I was waiting in uh, the hallway for a doctor's appointment. This is probably about four or five years ago, and I was with a buddy of mine who uh, was a high school. Uh, mate. He was a senior when I was a sophomore in high school. And unfortunately, life took turns and we both had severe spinal cord injuries. And here we are waiting uh, to be called, in, called into our doctor's office. And um, I guess I didn't realize I was talking so loud, but I said to my buddy, I said, hey, hey, T, I said, T, if I could snap my fingers right now, which I can't do still to this day, but I said, if I could snap my fingers right now and you would be completely healed again, what's the first thing you would do? And he paused. And then I started to hear from behind me, I would go work in my garage. And then I heard a woman say, I would go gardening in my backyard. And I'm like, oh my God, this is a question. And everybody started chiming in. So yeah. it, it stuck with me. And when I put this podcast together, I always said that that's going to be a question that I'll ask of my guests. So I'll put that to you, Robert. What would be the first thing that you would do if you were completely able-bodied?
2: And I, I know I would just, I would go on a run first um I mean I just like I would just like get and give it everything I have to just like feel that that burn in the legs and you know the the wind rushing by your body and um all those things i mean that's I would immediately just start running and and I would just i mean I would just want to share it with my uh you know my family and and my friends and just stand up on my you know big six five frame and and just hug 'em um and just, you know be be grateful for that gift and um, I mean, it's, it's, it's the little things, right. That, you know, that, that mean the most and, and, and that we miss the most. Um, But, you know, and, and for me, that's, yeah, that's going on a wrong. That's, you know, that's sharing uh that's sharing that gift with my family. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny. Yeah, that's,
0: that's always like that. my answer too. I would get out on the road and just want to taste that sweat as it drips down my face into my mouth. Right. That salty sweat, Oh yeah, boy, absolutely. I certainly missed that as well. But uh, Robert Paler, I want to thank you so much, not only for agreeing to come on, because I've really had a devil of a time getting folks to come on with me, um, but for, for coming on in the first place, but for, for being such a tremendous role model for our community, uh, that you're out there talking to folks, not only folks who are disabled, but able bodied people to uh to to better themselves and better their lives. It's uh it's an amazing thing that you do and my hat's off to you.
2: Amazing. Well thank you so much, John. This this just like made my day. You're just such a great interviewer and I, I love what you're doing with this show. Um so I'm just I'm so grateful to be able to be a part of it. And you know I hope that I hope that people were inspired today and that if they were that um, you know, maybe they would they would reach out to me because I'd love to I'd love to have those conversations and, and talk with people. But truly I'm grateful for you for giving you this opportunity.
0: Sure. And speaking of which, if people do want to learn more about you uh and get in touch with you, how would they do that?
2: Yeah, so um I kind of have a monopoly on the name Robert Taylor, so it's kind of easy um uh, to go out there and find me and that's you know, that's uh Instagram, Twitter. Uh, Facebook, TikTok, uh, LinkedIn, all of those other places. My emails rob at robertpaler.com, my website's Robert um, any of these places, whichever's whichever's easiest for anyone. I you know, I I um, I'm where I am today because of, of those who got me here and you know I hope that I can I can be that for other people and um and you know even if that's you know that's a conversation or just a follow on social media I on Instagram I post almost daily um, rehab videos of getting after it. And I, I think it, it makes us feel less alone when, when we see others who, you know, continue, continue to go after it and endure the same things as us. So. I hope that it's helpful to other
0: people without question. And you'll hear when, uh, when the podcast is up and available, you'll hear in my intro, I, I talk about just that. I said, um, that, uh, you have a zillion followers on, on Facebook and uh, Twitter and Instagram, and I have like 12, I don't know how to, I don't know how to bump my numbers up there. I'm hoping that maybe, uh, through this conversation, more people will get a chance to listen, uh, and, and give, uh, give the podcast, a. uh, uh a shout out or a listen, something like that. But again, uh, Robert, a, a great pleasure to to finally speak with you. The videos have inspired me for months and I was so happy to uh, to get you to come on and to, to bring your story to my guests. Thanks again.
2: Absolutely. Thank you, John.
0: What an amazing young man. Robert Paler certainly has the right perspective on life. In fact, he is a big, bright, shining example of the phrase, you can't keep a good man down. Thank you again for joining me, Robert, and let's keep in touch, my friend. As for my next show, we are going out for dinner and I'm buying. That's because Yannick Benjamin, a sommelier and proud New Yorker born into a family of French restaurateurs, will be my guest. In 2003, a car accident left him paralyzed below the waist, and he quickly adapted, outfitting his wheelchair with a table that allowed him to continue working the floor as a sommelier. Today, he is one of the partners in Contento, a Harlem restaurant designed both by and for people with disabilities. This is an episode you will surely not want to miss. And on a personal note, after close to four years of emails, paperwork, telephone interviews, in-person interviews, Zoom interviews, and a whole lot of patience, I finally got the call. On January 31, I begin a 10-day training session at the Northeast region of Canine Companions for Independence. There, I will meet and undergo training with a new friend. So stay tuned for progress reports. This should be fun. Thanks again, as always, to Chris Parapesco at Harbor Picture Studios for mixing the program. And until next time, I am John McAleeby, and I thank you for your time. I don't